You're listening to Ship Talking with Sharon Levine. Join Sharon as she discusses the human experience of creating and maintaining relationships of all kinds, from friendships to family and everything in between. And now, here's Sharon. Welcome to another episode of Ship Talking, where we talk about relationships of all kinds. Uh, I first wanted to share a couple important updates, the first being that we are now on Apple Podcasts, so head over there and rate, review, and subscribe to us because that would mean a lot and help us out a good bit. Number two, Ship Talking has an email set up, and we would love to hear from you. So reach out to shiptalking at wchl.com for show ideas, questions, comments, just to say hi, and everything. All right. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Sharon, and I am joined today by Alexandra. Alexandra, I didn't ask you before how to say your last name. (laughs) That is totally fine. (laughs) Um, last name is uh, pronounced Voida. Okay, I would have. I'm glad I asked. I would have gotten that very wrong. Voida. So it sounds like yes. a V, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> who, like Danielle, who from a couple episodes back joined us, she is a clinical psychology doctoral student in Don Bacham Couples Lab. And I invited Alexandra on for these next two episodes to do kind of a, a couples therapist QA with us. And so I've been. <laughs> reaching out to social media over the the past couple of weeks to ask questions about um, what people would be interested in hearing from a couples therapist. And Alexandra, I was hoping to get just a couple of questions, but I got tons of questions. So thank you for being here. I'm so happy to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be able to offer my perspectives on relationships. So why don't we start by telling us just a little bit about yourself and the research that you do in the couples lab. Yeah, happy to do that. So as a uh, student in clinical psychology, a lot of people in these programs, they study a specific psychological disorder like depression and anxiety. Uh, I'm specifically interested um, in the different ways that our committed and romantic relationships uh, can affect our mental health and well-being as individuals. You know, we are social creatures. We don't exist in a vacuum. So our health, however it may be defined, you know, it's influenced by the people that we interact with. And there is no greater influence than the people we are um, intimate and close with. Um, Specifically, what I'm really interested in uh, studying and understanding about couples is uh, the different ways that external environmental stress um, can affect the behavior that uh, partners engage in and just the well-being of the people in relationships. Uh, So the way that my research interest kind of started when I uh, began graduate school, um, I kind of looked at this in couples who are unhappy in their relationship and how being in a distressed, unhappy relationship can sort of serve as a a vulnerability factor for um, engaging in things like physical violence and intimate partner violence. Um, I'm sort of shifting away from studying physical violence in relationships and focusing uh, a little bit more on low-income couples, uh, so folks who are struggling uh, economically, and how they can remain resilient in their relationship, um, even in the face of chronic financial difficulties. Uh, So yeah, that's kind of uh, my two main interests so far. Well, I had a lot of people really jump on the opportunity to, to talk to me about some of the stressors in their own relationship. So that's perfect. I have a big bank of questions that range a lot of different topics. However, I got a lot of questions about COVID, about 
how to survive and not like drive your partner crazy and vice versa, have your partner drive you crazy. And I got a lot of questions about like, work-life balance during COVID, questions about feeling comfortable with partners who work in healthcare settings. I got a lot of questions about it. It's definitely a stressor on people's mind. And so I thought maybe we could focus on on that just for this full episode. Yeah. Um, does that sound to you? No, oh, for sure. That is a very relevant topic these days. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe a good place to start is just by having you speak broadly about some of the pandemic-based themes you've seen emerge in your work with relationships over the past couple of months. What is What has it looked like for you? Sure. Um, it's, I think it... it varies pretty widely depending on the kind of couple that we're talking about. Depending on the stage of their relationship that they're in, I think the stressor is going to manifest in very different ways, just living in the context of this pandemic. So you'll, I can speak a lot to uh, couples who are uh, in committed relationships, they've been together for a long time, and they are living together. Uh, what they might experience in the context of the virus might look very, very different from couples who are just in the process of dating. They're getting their relationship off the ground, and guess what? A pandemic disrupts that. Uh, so I can speak a little bit to what I know and what I've seen in both groups of couples. I guess one thing that kind of affects everyone, though, I guess as a starting point, is the virus in itself, uh, the very nature of it takes a toll largely in terms of how we experience anxiety, right? And that is, that's going to manifest in our relationship in different ways. And I'll get to that in a second. But when it comes to uh, the nature of the virus, we're basically being asked to be much more hypervigilant around other people. We're being asked to take precaution not only for ourselves, but for everyone else around us. And so for many people, this is a new way of thinking about and relating to the world. For many, it's really, really unprecedented. Uh, oftentimes, we don't think twice about who we interact with, how close we get to other people, uh, what stores we go to, where we eat. Um, we are now being asked to think about that on a daily basis. It's a moment-to-moment um, stressor. And so this can be really, really taxing regardless of the stage of the relationship that you're in. We are being asked to socially distance ourselves from other people. For couples who are dating, this really affects how often they see each other and how they communicate with each other. This requires people to get really, really creative. Um, and at times people feel like they've exhausted all of their options. I know that people have been turning to technology a lot more to stay connected um, to the people that they're dating. And uh, sometimes it works Some people feel like it's a, a replacement for face-to-face -face contact. I've also heard from a lot of other people that it's an insufficient replacement for face-to-face -face contact. Uh, that there's something really special about being able to be physically close to someone that you call your partner, someone that you're in the process of getting to know. Physical affection, physical touch plays a, some people have said it feels like they're, they're missing a really key element uh, in the growth and development of their relationship. People who, who live together and are in much more committed relationships, we see a number of other things. Things like experiencing pay cuts or losing your job, having to work outside the home, um, being a full-time uh, worker, but also a full-time full caregiver if your kids now have to stay home and go to school from home. These are all going to be incredibly difficult things that are layered on top of the anxiety that comes with uh, the virus. So 
this is really going to limit the opportunities that couples have, even though they're at home together, uh, the number of opportunities they have to uh, spend time with each other, to be intimate with each other. If you're constantly tending to your kids, managing household tasks, responsibilities, making sure that you're minimizing your exposure to the virus when you leave the house, you know, this is going to limit how much time and energy you have for each other at the end of the day. So I've heard from a lot of couples that their schedules are full and busy, and this is all sort of exhausting on many levels. Uh, so there too, it requires a lot of creativity for people to think about how do we stay connected in the same household with everything else going on around us? How do we stay connected? How do we feel like we still have some semblance um, of intimacy in, the, in this chaos? Alexandra, I'm going to stop you right there, but I have a lot of questions about what it could look like to stay connected. So I'm excited to talk with you again in a couple minutes. Mm -hmm. And we'll be right back from there. Thanks for listening to Ship Talking on 97.9 The Hill. You're listening to Ship Talking with Sharon Levine. We'll be back with more after this on 97.9 The Hill. And now back to Ship Talking with Sharon Levine. Once again, here's Sharon. Welcome back to Ship Talking. I'm Sharon and joined by Alexandra, who's been chatting with us about her experiences as a couples therapist, and particularly how the pandemic has impacted her work as a couples therapist. And Alexandra, you were talking a little bit about the importance of just staying connected with your partner and finding time to enjoy time with your partner and, and, and connect with them even when things are hectic and really mm. as things are right now. And so continue to talk a little bit about that. What does that look like? I'm particularly interested in examples where couples are doing really well when you're like, man, y'all got it. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, during this time, I think one of the things that I have been most impressed by, um, actually two things. The first is that Couples who find a way of still integrating time into their schedules for each other, even when life is really full and busy um, and also anxiety provoking, that they look at it as a way of uh, building in time for each other. So mindset really matters here. Couples who struggle a little bit more to uh, enhance opportunities to spend time with each other, what they typically do is look at time together as an add-on. It's on top of everything else that is going on in their everyday lives. And so sometimes that can lead couples to feel stuck, sort of like an impediment. If they have a hard time figuring out how do I, how do we figure this out? How do we create time that doesn't exist? But when you switch your mindset and tell yourself, this is really important to me, I want us to figure out how to build this in to our lives, that helps to, you take the first step to making that happen. The second thing, mindset aside, is I've noticed couples who are particularly successful during the pandemic do not necessarily dedicate, let's say, an entire day for each other um, or try to have, you know, lavish date nights. You know, we can't always go outside to the favorite places that we went to before. So we have really limited opportunities to um, spend time together in that way. Rather, the most successful couples don't really think about that. They try to enjoy 
each other in really small ways over the course of the week. Um, and again, this requires a lot of thinking outside of the box. How can we have fun at home? Um, some couples that I have worked with have uh, tried to, for instance, have a picnic on their living room floor, uh, something that they may not feel comfortable doing out in public right now. They just take that same activity and they bring it into the house. Uh, they find ways of just sitting down and for five to ten minutes having a conversation with each other at the end of the day to really share what's on their mind. Um, also, in addition to that, there are couples who have created special routines and rituals for each other that is something that's unique to them and that is shared only between the two of them. Uh, having a cup of coffee together every morning, uh, watching a specific movie that you love um, on a Friday night. Having that sort of regularity has been uh, really helpful for, for some couples as well. Uh, so I think mindset as well as finding those small opportunities and capitalizing on them uh, have been really helpful for the couples who have been functioning well at this time. I have a good couple, a friend of mine who recently had a, a date night and they they got dressed up and they went mm -hmm. to the backyard patio and put a nice fancy tablecloth and like strung lights overhead and had a Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, and also, tell us about your experience with couples who, where maybe one is more nervous about the virus than the other or. Mm -hmm or being more vigilant about safety precautions than the other? Have you seen that? And what, what are suggestions that, that you might have? Right, right. I think one partner being a little bit more anxious than the other, um, it, it is a reality that couples have to face. Um, and sometimes when the anxiety gets to the point where it's, it's kind of debilitating for that one partner, the other person sometimes might struggle figuring out how to respond. You know, how do I calm this person down? How do I make them feel better? Those are probably some questions that are crossing that person's mind. So it's a realistic concern. And I think that uh, there are two things that are especially important when there is sort of this um, gap between the anxiety that both partners are experiencing. The first thing I think that is incredibly important for the partner who has uh, less anxiety to do for the person who has more anxiety is to offer emotional support, uh, validate their concerns. Their anxiety is stemming from something that is very realistic. The virus is a uh, realistic concern. It's something that we all are facing right now. And so it's really logical that this person might be very hypervigilant. It's logical that they might be afraid of being exposed to the virus, let's say, if they leave their house to do grocery shopping. So validating, expressing empathy and understanding is the first thing that I think is really important for a partner to do for someone who has a lot of anxiety. Um, it's, it's just key to let that person know, I got you, I hear you, and I'm with you. I get why you feel this way. The second thing I think is important for the partner with less anxiety to do is uh, offer support in another way. Uh, tangible support is something that comes to mind there. Um, if the partner with more anxiety is uh, afraid, again, to leave the house to run errands, that person with less anxiety, I would hope, would uh, step up and offer to um, increase how much they take over household responsibilities, too. So I think... Helping that person out, helping them understand that 
they have someone in their corner by validating, by offering empathy, and also by maybe taking on a few more tasks during this very difficult time. Um, I think both of those are important for, for people to consider when the relationships have a lot of anxiety. Awesome. Yeah, I remember talking with my partner about this recently and just over time realizing there were certain areas just which I felt more anxiety than he did. Like you mentioned this earlier, but I, I still have a hard time going into the grocery store. Ah, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, seemingly fine in other areas. Like I was fine going to Lowe's. I think it just felt a lot bigger and more spread out for me. Um, but he was nervous to go to Lowe's. And so it's just been really interesting. It's 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 helped us, I think, communicate and be honest mm-hmm. and open with each other. Um, oh, sure. And I think that I've seen that as well, that, you know, you would imagine that with the high stress and high anxiety context that we're living in, communication might go out the window for a lot of couples. I've actually seen a bit of an opposite pattern where people are getting even better at communicating with each other. And I think it's kind of what you were speaking to, which is that in order to navigate this difficult time, you have to coordinate with each other. You have to be honest with each other about what you feel comfortable versus uncomfortable doing. Um, So I'm glad that you brought that up because I've, I've, I've sort of seen that trend as well. Well, Alexander, we have to take another pause, but we'll be back in a few minutes. So thanks for listening to Ship Talking on 97.9 The Hill. You're listening to Ship Talking with Sharon Levine. We'll be back with more after this on 97.9 The Hill. And now back to Ship Talking with Sharon Levine. Once again, here's Sharon. We are back to Ship Talking. I am your host, Sharon, joined by Alexandra, who has been sharing her experiences as a couples therapist and how the pandemic has affected her work. And I wanted to end with a a question that I think is just really important that we address in this show. I know there has been quite an uptick in intimate partner violence during the pandemic. Um, That's something that is again, so frightening. And I think it's important that we cover this. And so can you just speak to that a bit? Sure. I think before I delve into maybe some of the reasons why we've seen an increase in intimate partner violence during this time, I think it might be important to begin with maybe just some basic definitions of what intimate partner violence is um, and how does it sort of uh, play out and manifest uh, in relationships? Because I think that there might be some uh, misconceptions when people use the word um, intimate partner violence or refer to IPV. Um, so largely when we're talking about domestic violence, <clears throat> we're talking about uh, psychological violence, physical violence, and sexual violence. So those are three separate categories. And for each of those, there's sort of a, a range in severity of violent behavior. So for psychological violence, we could talk about more mild things like yelling and screaming and name calling to uh, actively gaslighting your partner or making them think that they are going crazy. Uh, For physical violence, it could range from things like pushing and shoving during an argument to uh, more severe things like threatening your partner with a weapon or severely harming them. Uh, And for sexual violence, I think that's a pretty straightforward one. It doesn't really range in severity, though, because we're just talking explicitly about unwanted sexual contact uh, from your partner. Now, among the most common ones that we do tend to see in uh, committed relationships are more mild forms of physical and psychological violence. So again, that's the yelling, screaming, and pushing and shoving. 
and and I, I bring this up because oftentimes when people hear the term domestic violence, they automatically think to the worst possible scenario where, again, people are being uh, physically battered by their partner. And oftentimes people think it's a male partner who is the one who is engaging in this kind of behavior. Interestingly, though, we see that there are um, sort of equal rates of perpetration of IPV and victimization between men and women. So that's kind of sort of the backdrop that we are uh, working with here during the pandemic. Now, uh, when we're talking about the increase in rates of domestic violence from what I've read and from what I've heard, a lot of that does seem to be on the more uh, severe, severely violent end of the continuum. Now, a lot of people have been asking, why is that? Why is it that all of a sudden we are seeing this kind of behavior during this time? And uh, I think a couple of things play a role in this. Uh, first, we do see a trend during uh, crises and during uh, stressful times uh, in society uh, that people do engage in more violent behavior. There's sort of this trend during uh, earthquakes and natural disasters and other things that affect broad communities. And during times of crises, especially the pandemic, there could be a number of things that um, are also increasing in addition to other relationship difficulties that might be making people uh, more vulnerable to engaging in this kind of behavior and putting people at greater risk of being a victim of IPV. Some of those things include uh, isolation. During the time of COVID, we are being asked to stay at home largely. Don't leave your house. Don't interact with other people. And so for uh, people who are partnered to individuals who are prone to engaging in things like gaslighting and limiting contact, your contact with the outside world, this is kind of providing them with a unique context in which they can keep doing that. We also have to recognize that being in a stressful context also increases IPV. This is especially true for people who maybe struggle to regulate their emotions. Um, if you have a hard time calming yourself down in stressful situations, uh, sometimes uh, it's true that for some people who, who have difficulty in that area, what they're more likely to physically strike out against their partner because they feel like they have limited options for uh, how to handle their emotions. So sometimes stressors can increase the likelihood that we have a difficult time uh, calming ourselves down. Uh, and it might then increase the likelihood that we behave in poor ways toward our partner. And the last factor that I have heard a little bit about is that there is uh, increases uh, in alcohol use during the pandemic. Uh, people don't really know how to spend their time or they're struggling with anxiety and depression. And one way of quelling that is for some people, they, they turn to alcohol to do that. The problem is, is that while it might feel good in the short term, um, it also does lower your inhibitions for engaging in quote unquote bad behavior. Um, so if we're kind of looking across the board, isolation, increases in stress and uh, increases in things like alcohol use, they're making people a little bit more vulnerable to uh, behaving in uh, destructive ways in their relationships. And there could be other factors that I'm not mentioning right now, but those are the three that uh, most immediately come to mind right now. We have only a quick minute left, but I, I want to make sure we get some resources in. So for anyone who, is, who has found themselves in a tough place right now, um, mm -hmm. 
what resources do you have to share with them? Absolutely. It's a great question. I think one of the uh, best resources that people can turn to if you are experiencing violence in your relationship is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Um, you can go to hotline.org to have access to um, additional resources there. You can, if you don't have access to the internet, you can call their uh, hotline, which is 1-800-799-7233. Or you can also text the word uh, love is as one uh, term to 866-331-9474. Um, that will be able to connect you with someone who can provide additional information about local shelters and other programs that are in your community that can offer the help that you need to stay safe during this difficult time. And we'll be sure to put all those in the show notes for easy access. And that's all we have time for, Alexandra. Thanks so much for joining us. I am excited to have you back next week for another um, more traditional couples therapist Q&A. <laughs> All right, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Alexandra. And thanks for listening to Ship Talking on 97.9 The Hill. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Ship Talking with Sharon Levine on 97.9 The Hill. For more episodes, visit the on-demand page of our website, chapelboro.com. Mm-hmm.